what we're talking about this semester, right, is who are you, right? And we're going through a series of passages trying to figure out what is our role? What is our role in the larger place, right? Within Christianity, within the world, right? Within society, within your dorm, all of those pieces. In 1822, a little boy was born on a struggling farm in what was Austrian and is now is uh, the Czech, uh, to a couple parents in a small rural village, all right? His name was Johann. Uh, he eventually went to school and, despite his humble upbringings, uh, impressed a school teacher who then encouraged him uh, to pursue secondary school. And that went okay, and eventually, even though it was a financial strain on the family, and even though he struggled with his health, uh, he eventually graduated and then went on to university and took on a two-year program which again was a large financial strain on the family. And repeatedly, he dealt with bouts of illness and depression that pulled him away from his studies for extended amounts of time. And he would get his guts back up and he would go back to study. And again, he would fall ill or depressed or anxious and step away from academics, right? But eventually, three years later, he finished a two-year program, right? We've all kind of been in that position. Well, at least I have, right? Sometimes it takes a little longer to finish things than you think it is because of life, because of circumstances, right? Well, after he graduated, he joined a monastery and became a monk, right? And this was the dream, right? Because here they had an extensive library and extensive research facilities, and he was able to do his thing. At university, he had studied math and physics, and here he was able to work with some really great people, kind of as a scientific um, apprenticeship of sorts. But the same things that plagued him early in life plagued him now. Finances were a struggle, and his illnesses and his depression reared their ugly head again, and he had to repeatedly withdraw himself from the work, from overwork, until eventually, at one point, they said, you know, Johan, I don't think this is maybe for you. Maybe we need to do something a little bit different. Why don't you try teaching some of these younger classes instead of working in research? So he took the option, even though he loved research, to do something else, for which there was a requisite exam, which he took and then failed. So now he can't do his research and he can't teach. And the nail in the coffin is the examiner even had the uh, foresight to write down that he felt like, before I get it wrong, he lacks insight and the requisite clarity of knowledge. That is not what you tell a student that fails a test. You do not tell them, you don't have it. You're not smart enough. This isn't for you. Find something else to do, right? That is not how you encourage people. Unfortunately, this was kind of the end of the road for Johan, right? Discouraged, without anything to do, kind of at a dead end. He had to make a choice of what to do next. Couldn't research and he couldn't teach. So instead, he decided to take up gardening. I think last week, Christian talked about gardening a little bit, right? For, for those of you that were here, the parable of the sower, right? So there's a story that Jesus is telling, trying to explain bigger things, like the kingdom of heaven, right? And the sower goes along, and he throws his seeds into four different kinds of soil. The first being the path where it dies. The second being rocky soil where it dies. The third being thorny soil where it dies. And fourth, finally, good soil where it takes root and it grows, and it starts to do something, right? The Bible is full of these stories that are kind of oriented around an agrarian economy, an agrarian uh, system, right? Because that's what people would know, right? They're people of the land. 
They understand the natural cycle. They understand sowing seeds. They understand harvest. They understand produce. All those kinds of good things, right? And so when you're communicating with people, you try to use stories and try to use ideas that are relevant to them and that they understand, right? Because there's more meaning that can be taken out of that. So with these four soils, right, we move into another passage, right, which is what I'm going to talk about tonight. First of all, there's the parable of the growing seed, which goes along with this very nicely, right? It says, uh, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And then there's the second half where we talk about mustard seeds. I love mustard. I love mustard, especially on a bratwurst with sauerkraut. It is the best, right? But in the Bible, unfortunately, there's no mentioning of sauerkraut. Instead, there's basically two stories about mustard seeds, right? The first is the one that we all know, right? If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains, right? This is the kind of verse that I like, especially being shorter in stature and not excessively strong. I like the idea that if I believe big, I can do big things, right? But I don't think that's probably what God is talking about. This is probably more relevant to things of faith than necessarily my 5K time. Um, Not limiting God there, but I doubt that's what he's talking about. The second half here, what I'm going to talk about, is the parable of the mustard seed. And again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. The second one is more interesting to me. I understand the idea of good soil and bad soil and seeds taking root. I understand that uh, the farmer is involved in the farming process, but not maybe the growing process. But this is interesting to me because the parable starts with, this is the kingdom of God, right? When we think about the kingdom of God, right, we're usually thinking about heaven. We're thinking about golden streets and like lots of ice cream or like whatever. But right? God doesn't talk about it like that. He talks about it in continually small ways, hidden ways, right? There's these continual parables and stories throughout the Gospels. Math, Mark, you, math, (laughs) you know the four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? You know them. Uh, They're all about small things, right? Where you talk about a seed that is hidden, right? Or you talk about a man that stumbles upon a treasure in a field, And he sells everything he has to buy the field to get the treasure, this thing that's small and hidden, right? Or you talk about a merchant who travels the world looking for the one pearl of infinite value, right? Or you talk about a man bringing fish out of the deep, right? That no one's seen before because of their value. Or maybe you talk about a wedding party where all the people that were invited didn't want to hear the dress code, So we just invited everyone else that might be willing to play along, the people that were hidden in society. Or you talk about a fair task, uh, a fair manager, right, who doesn't pay you based on how long you've been there or how good the work was you did, but he pays you because he's fair and he treats everyone the same, right? And all of these are being used to describe what the kingdom of heaven is. These aren't big stories. These aren't like the golden gates kind of thing, right? 
This is about common, everyday, small, and hidden things. And small, hidden things like seeds, these are important, right? So you guys probably don't think about Norway very much. You might after today. So halfway in between Norway and the North Pole is a small island. And in it is an abandoned coal mine in a mountain covered in ice. And in this is what is called the Svalbard Global Seed Trust. Have you guys heard about this? So what we've done here as humanity is we have taken as many varieties of crop yielding seeds as we possibly can gather and we have stored them deep below the ice so that in case of a horrible apocalyptic disaster, either natural or man-made, we have an option. If we don't have Bruce Willis and we don't have Matt Damon, we at least have all of the seeds and we can restart our crops, right? From every place in the world, every major crop, we can go back and reseed. And these seeds are rotated and monitored by scientists. In fact, researchers say that a seed under the right conditions can last for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, just waiting to be put into the right soil and to grow again and for life to be found, right? Isn't that amazing? I love that. But you always need good soil, right? The Great Plains went through a bit of a disaster about 100 years ago, early in the 20th century, right, where this land was largely untamed. We saw it as the next great agrarian, the next great agricultural frontier. And so people from all over came to grow specifically wheat because the profits were high. And this was land that was available. It was the next place to grow into. And so we tore out all of the prairie grass with its long, gangly roots. And instead, we put down wheat with nice, short, shallow roots. And we started harvesting and making a lot, a lot of money at this. Unfortunately, a drought came. A drought that was almost eight years long. And what happens when a drought comes, because a drought will always come, or a flood, or some other kind of disaster, what happens is it reveals how you have been tending the soil. It speaks volumes about the type of crops that you've been growing. In this case, the wheat was unable to hold on to the soil. In addition to um, uninformed agricultural practices, right, different ways of tilling, different ways of working the land, what happened is the topsoil blew away. At one point in 1935, they think uh, it was 180 million tons of soil blew away in the wind. All the topsoil, all the nutrients was simply gone. And with that went the people. At the same time, two and a half million people had to relocate. They became immigrants from the plains to California, right? Or other places where they thought it was safe right? The drought had changed everything. It reveals if your roots are shallow. It reveals what you've done uh, with your crops. If you are not grounded in the word, if you haven't learned your proper place in relationship to God and the rest of humanity, if you haven't come to know, understand what sacrifice for others is, if you haven't put God first in all things, when there is trouble, and there will be trouble, it speaks volumes about what you've done up until that point. Soil that has been used and abused cannot stand up to the pressures of harsh elements. It took the land almost 20 years to recover. That's longer or close to 
the age of most of you guys. Can you imagine land that could not produce a good crop for 20 years because of one single mistake that was made over and over and over and over, right? There are consequences to the way that we tend soil and the way that we store our seeds. So, back to the parables, right? If we are the soil, and Jesus is talking about our receptivity, right? The way that we listen to truth, the way that we understand who God is, the way that we listen to the spirit. And if the seed is the word of God, the thing that is planted in us or truth, right? That leaves us with the tree, right? Because the seed is always planted to bear something, right? Nobody plants millions of acres of seeds just for the fun of it. They plant it for a reason. They plant it for a harvest, right? Or at the very least, to make more seed to sow again, right? Being fruitful is really important. God talks about this. Jesus talks about this a number of times through scripture, right? Uh, And one, a fig tree is threatened to be cut down because it hasn't borne any fruit, right? Or another time, a field that has weeds growing amongst it, They tell the farmers to hold off, let the weeds grow until the end, and when we harvest it, we'll pull them out, and we'll put them on the burn pile, pile, right? Even Paul says, do not be be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap, right? And through all these things, not only are we called um, to grow, right, to be receptive, to have seeds, but to be fruitful, So what does that look like, right? I think the easy answer is the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, perseverance, self-control, right? Are you treating our roommate with joy? Do you treat your faculty with perseverance, right? Do you exhibit self-control on the court, right? All those kinds of things. I think those are easy because those are very kind of like outcome-based. We see them exhibited in life, right? The way that you tend your heart comes out with the way that you play basketball. But I think God is also talking about a different kind of fruit in this parable, right? He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And he's talking about this mustard seed will grow into a big tree that provides shade and shelter for the birds, right? Well, myself and other commentators uh, don't necessarily think he's necessarily talking about the next heaven, like the next life, the big place in the sky, Instead, he's talking about a different kingdom. He's talking about this kingdom, right? A lot of people think that when Jesus is talking that the bush, the mustard tree, is the body of Christ. It is the church. I'm not necessarily talking about bigger churches or more programming or more staff or more exciting worship or better community outreach. I think instead, what happens is when the church grows, not a physical place, but when those who love God grow, when that body becomes bigger, what's really happening is people are being reminded of their true home, of their real kingdom, right? We spend our lives, I think, living in two worlds. We live in the temporal, the here, the now, and we live in the eternal, the later and the forever, right? The things that we do in this world, if scripture is true, change what happens in the next world, right? Likewise, if we believe that there is this thing next door, right? If there is this other world, 
and it is true, then it is changing our circumstances. It is stepping into our lives in order to change the temporal world, right? Do you see how they're working together back and forth? Think about the way that you study in your classes, maybe, right? The way that you study now, the way that you prepare, the way that you cite your sources or whatever, right, is exactly the same way that you'll do it once you get hired. The piece of paper you get when you graduate is very important, absolutely important. I teach here, it's true, right? But the person you are when you walk up on this side of the stage doesn't change by the time you walk down the other side, right? Everything that happens over here is the fruit that you have been harvesting for the last four years or the seed you've been sowing, right? Or look about, think about a dating relationship. Think about the person you're uh, with, right? If you treat this person with love and compassion and grace now, instead of short-sighted and selfish ways, right? That's how you'll act on the other side, right? The way you act with underclassmen may influence the way that you eventually raise your children. Everything you're doing now in this temporal college space is affecting your next eternal, which is career, which is life, do you understand how these two relate back and forth? And if you're in the classroom, you're studying, and you know that your career field wants something specific, maybe a portfolio sample or something on your demo reel, right? You make those things in this world, in college, in order to be ready for the next world. Does that make sense? They're not as maybe deviated as we think they are. I think we are simultaneously in both of them together. The Lord's Prayer even speaks to this a little bit, Right? It says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is a beautiful thing. If heaven is this unbelievable great place, right, where love reigns, and the weak, the poor, the widowed, the orphan, the immigrant, the downtrodden finally see who they really are in God, then that's what we're trying to bring about here on earth. We're trying to take the glory of understanding who we are with God, and somehow reflect that here, right? Because we are all equals, we're all beloved by him. And isn't that our call? To offer the world with eternal and continual despair with eternal hope, with something that is bigger and reflects their true kingdom. Paul even says, our citizenship is of heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That we are citizens of another world. And all of us, whether consciously or unconsciously, are seeking to return to this true kingdom. So let's go back to Johann. So when he joined the monastery, he was given a new name. He came in being Johann Mendel, and he was named when he came in Gregor Mendel. When he moved on to gardening, he decided to do something very specific because at heart, he was a researcher. He was a scientist. He was someone that was particular, right? And he initiated an eight-year experiment on peas. Not very interesting to me, but fascinating to him. He found seven major categories of things that happen with peas. They can be smooth or wrinkled. They can be yellow or green. The flower can be purple or white. They can form different types of pea pods. The flower can be on top or on the side. And they can be tall or they can be short. And what he found was curious is when you breed a tall mama pea plant and a tall papa pea plant, they don't always yield a tall baby pea plant, right? So what is happening there? Well, he continued on and he did his research for eight years and eventually he was finished and he presents at a conference, right? And then he publishes in their small journal and a couple of people 
read it, but nobody seems to care. Nobody really understands what it is he's doing. To them, most of his research looks exactly like all the other research that's already been done for years and years and years. In fact, some might say he was even possibly lacking insight into what was happening, and he was a little blind to the circumstances. However, about 30 years later, three other researchers uh, found small copies of his journals, which was great because most of his notes and records were burnt. We lost most of his work, most of his writings, right? And they saw in what he was doing something different, and they started to understand that he was significantly ahead of his time. In fact, 16 years after Gregor's death, he was a genius, but he never knew it, and nobody around him knew it. He left the research, and he went to instead head the monastery. Instead, he took it to be his task to run things and run things well and to serve God and to preach sermons and to do other things about the business of the monastery, never really thinking, we think, about his research again. But we're talking about mustard seeds, right? So back to the parable. <clears throat> you need good seed the word of God. You need good soil, a receptive heart. And then the Lord knits together a new plant to grow and to be fruitful and ultimately to be harvested. But you may never see the fruits from the harvest, just like Gregor Mendel never did. He did work that changed the path of humanity. He is known as the father of modern genetics, and he never knew it. The same could be for you, right? Life is busy and complex, Sometimes I use the analogy of a train station, right? There's all these trains coming and going and switching tracks and going places. But maybe our life is not about the destination. Maybe it's not about where we're going. Maybe instead it's about the way that you treat the ticket master along the way or the baggage man, right? Maybe it's about the way that you're reflecting God's glory and love and patience and peace instead of trying to get to Amsterdam or wherever you're taking a train to right? Or, like I tell my students sometimes, and this, this can be a humbling thought, right? Maybe if you are in college, you are not here to earn a degree. You will, and that will do wonderful things for your lives, right? But maybe you're in my class to teach me something about life so that it changes the way that I parent my child, so it changes something about our relationship in his life. You may be planting seeds in the way that you live, in the way that you do or do not reflect the glory and the love and the grace of God that change things 30 years out and you will never know for the good, for the bad, right? But what I think is exciting is whatever we do, right? If we believe the scripture is true and that heaven or the body of Christ is our true kingdom, right? Everything we are doing is calling people back to that. People are lost, not lost in their salvation, but they are hopeless, right? They are looking for something bigger, something greater. And we have that answer. And we have the opportunity to repeatedly sow seeds to be an example of what good soil is in order to grow Christ's body, in order to return people back to their homeland, the place we are all from, the place we are all missing, the place we all long to return to, because that's where real love and real value is at. So, here's what I'm calling you to do. 
as well as myself. I think we have basically two things to do. Defend the seed. Protect the word of God. Put it deep in your heart. Know it well. And tend your soil. Be careful about the way that you train yourselves. Be careful about the way that you react to truth and justice. Understand that everything we do can be a reflection of a bigger, larger kingdom, right? So who are we? I think primarily we're farmers. And I think that is the most beautiful calling of all. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Be with all the students as they move through this semester. Um, May they have a view of eternity that is simultaneous with now. May they be instruments of your love and your grace for the university.